interesting that uh, God has um, made each of us unique. And when I think of Herman, I think of someone who was very unique. And, uh, but, but each one of us are unique. Uh, and God has a particular plan and a particular role for us to fill in life. And it's important that we fill that uh, so that uh, we can continue to uh, rejoice and uh, be glad for his divine work in our hearts. As Ivan indicated, uh, I draw your attention again this morning to the book of Galatians. And uh, uh, the text that I'm going to attempt to give exposition to is in Galatians chapter 5, uh, out of verses 13 through 26. This, uh, this extended text is logically divided into two subsections, as uh, I see it and understand it. Uh, first of all, you have verses 13 through 15. It's sort of a section by itself. And then you have uh, the, the longer section of, uh, to the end of chapter, six, uh, chapter 5, which is verses 16 through 26. And I'm going to approach this text uh, with that in mind. This text this morning continues to define what, what true Christian liberty is all about. Uh, true freedom in Christ is not the freedom to do as we please, but the ability to be, to by the constraint of the Holy Spirit, to do what we ought. That, that's where, that's, in my mind, that is uh, at least part of the essence of our freedom in Christ and of Christian liberty. So uh, I'm going to begin uh, by reading the first section, which is verses 13 through 15. And I want to notice a number of things from this particular part of the text. Uh, however, I'm going to read verse 1 and then jump right to verse 13 because uh, I noticed how it, it fits together when you do that. Uh, there's a continuum that uh, it brings to, to the text. So I'm going to read verse 1 and then verses 13 through 15. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. For, brethren, we have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. That seems to be uh, 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 the first subsection here in uh, our extended text this morning. 
I want you to notice that in this section that I just read, we have two admonitions and we have two warnings. I'd like to point those out uh, in this text. The, the first admonition that we have is, of course, found in verse 1, where he says, we should stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And of course, we understand because, that because of the context here in, in the book of Galatians, that this liberty wherewith Christ has set us free is the result of being made right with God, being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. It's, only the, it's the only way that we can be made right with God. And of course, Paul is emphasizing the fact that we're not made right with God by the, through the law, through, through uh, the ceremonial aspects of the law, etc. But we are made right with God. We are justified uh, as a result of embracing the Lord Jesus Christ as our atonement, our sin sacrifice, our savior, however you want to say it. Uh, it's so familiar to us, and yet it's so profound. Uh, this means that the sins of our past, <laughs> I don't know if you have many of those or not. I have lots. <laughs> the sins of the past, as a result of being justified by, through, through faith in Jesus Christ, the sins of the past are gone. They're erased. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> uh, to uh, where we can say there's therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus? Yes. And that's, that's, that to me is a biggie. And it gets bigger as I get older. It seems like that the, the sins of the past are, are gone, cast in the sea of God's forgetfulness through the blood of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 36, if the Son makes you free, and I, I like to think of the, the fact that he sets us free from our sins, the bondage of our sins. If the Son makes you, us free, we are free indeed. And it's the only way we can be set free. So that's the, uh, that, that's the, uh, uh, the, the first admonition then is to, um, to stand free, to, to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set us free. And then Paul gives a, a, the first warning, um, also in, in verse 1, 
when he says, be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Um, back in 1962, when I went to El Salvador and lived in the village of Sitio del Nino with uh, other, others uh, also there, co-workers. But uh, one of the things that uh, I noticed that was unique to the culture of El Salvador was the, the sight of seeing two beak oxen, powerful beasts, yoked together, pulling an ox cart. A yoke was made out of a heavy piece of timber, about five or six feet long. And it was carved in, on each end in such a way that it would fit over the neck of the oxen right behind the, the horns. And then it was tied securely, that the, the ox was tied securely, or else the yoke was tied securely. To, to the horns of the, of, of the oxen. And uh, they could, they could uh, pull heavy loads in, in that kind of way. But uh, yes, the, uh, the two oxen were yoked together. Uh, they, uh, they had lost their freedom. Where, where one went, the other had to go. <laughs> uh, and usually uh, they went uh, the way that the, uh, I don't know, what do you call them? Uh, one, the, uh, the driver of the ox with a pointed stick. <laughs> if you poke an ox on one side, he'd turn this way. If you poke him on the other side, he'd turn that way. But uh, they, uh, they, they went where the driver wanted them to go. They had to do it together. And so they were yoked together. And so he, he uses the idea of a yoke here. Uh, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's, uh, that's the first warning. Um, and, uh, and, and, and to be entangled in the yoke of bondage is a metaphorical way of describing what happens when one attempts to be justified uh, by the law, by justified by your own good works or whatever. Um, because when you attempt to be justified by the law, you are attempting to be justified by the things you do uh, by your own good works. Uh, and so uh, uh, Paul was, was warning against leaving your freedom in Christ and picking up the yoke of bondage and uh, walking in that bondage uh, where uh, you, uh, yeah, where, where you uh, were brought under bondage again, uh, the bondage of attempting to keep the law and carrying out certain religious rituals like circumcision and, and keeping certain holy days, as Paul mentions in 
has mentioned in the uh, text of Galatians uh, earlier in, in, this, uh, in this epistle. So be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. That's the first warning. The second warning is in verse 13, where he says, For brethren, we have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty as an occasion for the, to the flesh. Um, yes. Then, then you have an, the, the, the last part of that verse is the, the second admonition. But uh, so the, the second warning has to do with uh, not uh, using our liberty for an occasion to the flesh. By being justified, as I've mentioned, by faith in Christ, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty in a wrong kind of way. In, in the Olympic Games, there is an event where athletes do their event on top of a, uh, of a balance pole. And in my... Uh, my my talented artistic skills came handy here. You know, I, I, can, I can draw stick figures. That's about as good as I can do. But, but as I understand it, the, the, these certain athletes do, uh, they, they do their athletic event uh, on top of this balance beam that might be, what, four to six inches wide, uh, or, Standing off the ground, I don't know. I've, I've never been there, I don't, but I, uh, it's, it's some, some distance off the ground. And uh, they, they do amazing events. I, I don't know what all they do. I, I've hardly ever seen them, but I know they do it. Uh, you know, uh, jumps, somersaults, flips, backflips, all kinds of things. And, and the, with the ability to land on top of this balance beam, uh, when they've done their flips or whatever they do. Uh, and, and without falling off of either side of the balance beam, in a sense this morning in this text, Paul is, is telling us, is warning us that uh, we should not fall off the, uh, the balance beam. Uh, on, on the one side, is, is you can fall off on the side of legalism, or you can fall off on the side of license, um, where which license uh, tends to be a false kind of, of liberty that Paul wants us to stay free from. Uh, false liberty that is really uh, uh, an expression of a lifestyle of sin. Um, so, Paul is saying is warning us to, to, um, to, to uh, stay on the, on the balance beam of uh, uh, truth and our freedom in Christ and not fall on, off on each side of them. Um, and so you have the, the, uh, the first warning and the second warning 
But then you come to the, uh, the second admonition, which is also found in verses 13. It's found really in verses 13 and 14, where it says, For brethren, we have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but, here it is, but by love serve one another. Um, and and uh, for, for all the law, he says, goes on to say, is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you not be consumed one of another. So here you have this second admonition. The first one was stand fast in the liberty. And the second one, admonition, has to do with our relationship one with another in the body of Christ, which is so important. Note several things some, uh, about this admonition in verses 13 to 15. This, uh, this is a very forceful statement that Paul makes here. Uh, he calls us to the place to place our lives at the disposal of others in the body. When he says, by love, serve one another. The word serve is a very forceful word. It's, it's, like, it's like the slave serving his master. But by love, serve one another. This is a very forceful phrase. Um, yes, reminding us that we need to place our lives at the disposal of our brothers and sisters in Christ, in the disposal of others. For the first time, Paul indicates that by turning from justification by grace to being justified by the deeds of the law. You know where I'm going with this? It has ramifications on how we treat one another in the body of Christ. Evidently, when, 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 when the believers in the area of Galatia turned from, from justification by faith, by grace, to the law, they began to uh, have problems one with another. <laughs> Maybe they were measuring each other how well others are keeping the law. I'm doing better than you are, and, or whatever. But, but the, these relational difficulties began. And so for the first time here, Paul indicates, for the first time he's talking about our relationship one with another here, and he's going, to, he's going to continue to talk about this in chapter 6. But for the first time, he uh, addresses our relationship, uh, our relationships one with another in the body of Christ. And so uh, being, uh, experiencing the grace of God affects how we treat each other. Remember that.
Paul is, in, like I say, he's going to talk about this more and, and follow up on this in chapter 6. This is the way he's going to end his, uh, his epistle. But note two things in, in these two verses. Um, verse 14, uh, Paul reminds us that even the law calls on us to love one another, uh, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It came first in, in, in Leviticus 19, if I remember correct, where it tells us to love the Lord God with all our hearts, minds, soul, etc. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus said, the one is like the other. <laughs> the, the second one is like the first one. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, so uh, um, that's important. Um, so even the law uh, calls on us to love uh, our neighbor as ourselves. And, and, and uh, Paul indicates here in, in verse 14 that it's in loving one another in this kind of way that uh, we fulfill the law. <laughs> Not by some ceremonies like circumcision or keeping certain holy days, etc., but by loving one another. I just would like to drive that home to us here at Faith Christian. Uh, so it's so important. Now, uh, note the phrase in verse 15 when he talks about um, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed. Um, this depicts furious, a furious animalistic behavior. It's totally the opposite of serving one another in love. Let me just wait, make one more observation, and I'm going to uh, get off of this tension here. <laughs> but being justified by faith rather than by the deeds of the law means we are recipients of God's grace. Isn't that true? And justified by faith means that, uh, you know, we're recipients of God's grace. Paul said it in a, in, a, in a different way in Romans chapter 4. And uh, uh, if I can leave my eyes on the verse, uh, verse 16. Chapter 4, Romans four sixteen. Therefore, it is of grace that it might be by faith. It is of faith that it might be by grace. Whatever is of faith is by grace, Paul is saying. To the end, the promise might be made sure to all the seed, uh, etc. But 
if, it, if it's something comes to us by faith, then we don't deserve it. <laughs> it's part of God's grace. And so, uh, yes, um, so we're recipients by being justified by faith. We are recipients of God's grace. Um, Ephesians 2.8 also reinforces this when it says, by, faith, by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourself, it is the gift of God. A gift, you don't deserve a gift, you, you, but you, it's yours, you can receive it. And so uh, um, I just want to emphasize the fact and have us reflect on the fact that by being justified by faith, rather than by the deeds of the law, means we are recipients of God's grace. And so what, so what Paul calls on us to do here in these short few verses is, let me say it this way. Because we are the recipients of God's grace, God's, God expects us to let that grace filter um, down into our relationships one with another. You get the picture? God wants that grace that we receive from God to filter down in our, into our relationships one with another. Because it is fitting to do so. It is fitting to do so because we are, as Paul says, heirs together. <laughs> heirs together of the grace of life. He said that in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 in relation to husband, how husbands and wives should live together. But I also believe it fits uh, in, in relation to how we get along together with each other in the body of Christ. I challenge you with that this morning. If you need to have this concept reinforced, read what Jesus said to the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18, 22 through 35. And in brief, Jesus describes a man who had been released from an enormous debt, goes out and finds someone who owns him a few pennies and says, pay me what you owe. He didn't allow the grace to filter down into his relationships. I challenge us to, to do that. Well, I'm, I'm ready to leave a few verses and go to the extended verses. Verses 16 through 26. I'm going to read that. Uh, would you stand with me so you don't sleep and fall out, out, out the window <laughs> or jump out the window? Well, um, actually, I'm going to begin. In verse 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I forget to say this later, he immediately 
reminds us that biting and devouring one, one, biting and devouring one another is part of, the, of our walk in the flesh, not in the spirit, okay? Comes through in the context. For, for this, this I, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, if of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. You can't overdo this in a rightful way. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And if you live in, if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be sirens of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. You may be seated. <clears throat> At this point, I, I sort of find myself in a dilemma um, as I attempt to expound on this section of Roman, uh, Romans, Galatians chapter 5. Um, I not only consider these verses rich and loaded with spiritual truth that are important for us to understand, but I consider these 10 verses the most important section in this epistle. I was telling Marvin yesterday uh, while we were eating downstairs that uh, 33 years ago in August through October in 1988, I preached 10 sermons in Sioux Lookout at Believer's Fellowship in Sioux Lookout, Ontario on these 10 verses. Um, and, uh, and, and because of what was happening in, in those years in Northwestern Ontario and and affecting our, our, our church fellowship deeply, I, uh, I felt it important to, uh, to attempt to in-depth teach on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And, uh, and I, and I uh, spoke out of this text. Well, I'm not intending to preach nine sermons or ten sermons on these ten verses here at Faith Christian, so relax. But, but I don't see how I am going to properly give exposition to these ten verses in the next ten minutes. Um, 
but I'm going to explore with you some basic concepts that rest in, the, in, in, in verses 16, 17, and 18 to start with. And, and uh, I probably won't even get through those, but I, I'm going to get started here, and, and we'll take it from there as the Lord leads. Um, and so uh, let's look at these several, at least the verse, beginning at verse 16. For it says, this I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another, to other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would, but if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Um, first of all, as to the overall purpose, of verses 16 through 26. In, in these verses, Paul is defining and explaining how to stand fast in the liberty for with Christ has set us free. So Paul is telling us how to do that, in, especially in, 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 uh, in these 10 verses. He, he doesn't let us hang in relation to, to this matter of, of Christian liberty uh, and our freedom in Christ. So... Uh, I do encourage you, explore this passage uh, personally from this perspective. Several implications and truths from verses 16, 17, and 18. Let me read the, those verses again. <clears throat> this I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And the spirit, the word isn't inserted there, but you could insert it. it, it it's implied. The spirit lusteth. Um, against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Interesting conclusion there in relation to that thought. <clears throat> uh, Paul assumes several things. The first thing I want to say is that Paul assumes that everyone who has truly believed, everyone who has been justified by faith in Christ, <clears throat> hath received the Holy Spirit. That is assumed here. Um, there is no implication for needing a second work of grace here. <clears throat> Everyone who has been made right with God by embracing the atoning work of, of the cross has been, using another term here, baptized <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit, has been sealed <clears throat> by the Holy Spirit of promise, as it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 13 through 14. Let me turn to that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. See it there? Which is the earnest of our inheritance, the first down payment, if you please, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of 
of his glory. So <clears throat> Paul assumes um, this truth. Also notice just two other verses from Galatians uh, back to chapter 3 and verse 2. I was intrigued with this um, and reading through here. This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit. When did you receive the Spirit? By the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Huh? What's the answer? Um, well, also in verses 13 and 14 of that same chapter, chapter 3 of Galatians, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through, through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So I say to you, and we talked a little bit about that in Sunday school, how that, that uh, Paul's question to those, uh, those who were baptized under John in, uh, was, uh, was not, if you read the original text, was not, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? But it really was, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because if you didn't receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, there's something wrong with your believing, and it was for those disciples. They hadn't heard the whole story. So they had never been baptized or received the Holy Spirit. I believe that when one truly believes, one receives the sealing, the baptism, the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, I, yeah, that... Uh, so I, I just want us to see that. Uh, and so Paul seems to, uh, he assumes that, and he just sort of goes on to say um, in, uh, in, in chapter 5 here, and... Um, when he, and, and say, uh, um, go on, go, go on then and, and start walking in the Spirit. If you've received the Holy Spirit, then go on and start walking in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the, the lusts of the flesh. Um, that, that is the emphasis here. So go forth by, as an act of faith and act upon that fact, and walk in the Spirit. Now, um, looking at the, uh, the meaning of this directive, and I'm not going to get any further than that. I'll probably not even be able to, to uh, finish my thought on this. The, the meaning of walking in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? This directive uh, is not only given here, but it's given many times in, in different ways throughout the New Testament. Romans chapter 13 and verse 13 says, walk honestly. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says, walk in love. 
Ephesians 5 and verse 8 says, walk as children of light. Colossians 4 and verse 5 says, walk in, the, walk in wisdom. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 12 says, walk worthy of God. 1 John 1, 7, and you are familiar with that. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And 3 John 4, walk in truth. So the directness is given many times in the New Testament to walk in a certain way. What does he mean by walking? Walking in the spirit. So walk in the spirit. Um, in all of these references, it is used metaphorically. Walking is used metaphorically to speak of our ha habitual conduct, our, our, uh, our daily conduct. Um, the, to walk is a word used to tell us how to act and live our lives in, in, a, in a practical way. So verse 16 is telling us that by walking in the Spirit, by responding in the power of the Spirit, we will not bite and devour one another and we will be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's sort of the, the, the ongoing um, idea here. But it, is, it has to do with, we need to know what it means to walk in the spirit. And I, I'm, I'm afraid sometimes we don't know what that means. And so uh, it's important that we understand what he's saying here. Well, verse 16 gives us the uh, antidote, the, the secret, the key to live in victory and in freedom over the lust of the flesh. Um, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, I'm going to leave it with that and pick up on that uh, some other time, Lord willing. But I, I just would you know, wish that that would be uh, indelibly inscribed on our mind and heart's spirit this morning. Uh, this I say then, walk in the spirit, <laughs> walk in the spirit, and you shall not, you will not, you shall not uh, walk in the lust of the flesh. You shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh if you walk in the spirit. That is true and always will be true. Thank you for being patient with me this morning as I sort of rambled my way through a few of these verses. I'm going to, Ivan, I'm going to turn it back to you and pray and finish off it.